This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 545 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Jimmy and Lois take their final bows. Justice League's both good and bad. Bart Allen breaks the multiverse. Adam Strange, war hero or war criminal? Willow goes on a vacation. And we browse the graphic novel library to meet the early JSA. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, July 19th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 12 of 12 by Fraction, Lieber, and Fairbairn. In the final issue of this miniseries, Matt Fraction manages to wrap up all the hilarious plot lines. We began at the Daily Planet, about to go under due to the events in the main Superman titles. Perry says, but unless there's some sort of miracle comes bounding through that door right now... And in bounds Jimmy, asking, what did I miss? Cut to Detective Jim Corrigan, not that one, going up to the Olsen mansion along with the Porcadillo to arrest Julian Olsen, a.k.a. Mr. Metropolis. Turns out the mansion is empty except for Jimmy and Janie, who tell them that Julian has left for the airport. So they all speed off, Corrigan in his car, Jimmy in his spaceship, to stop Julian just as he's getting on a private plane. The other Olsons confront him, and he replies that, yes, he spent all their money calling them ignorant children. He then admits to have paid to have Jimmy killed. Yeah, and let me tell you, that was money wasted. The Porcadillo attacks, blowing him out the other side of the airplane. Jimmy has an exclusive for the planet in what will be its final edition. Jimmy and Janie may have to get actual jobs, until Miss Tessmacher arrives with evidence that proves that an Olsen and a Luthor had a secret tryst in the 1800s, which makes Jimmy a Luthor. It also gives him the right to stop Lex from spending any money. Jimmy confronts Lex, telling him he will spill the beans unless Lex covers Janie's expenses and funds the Daily Planet. Great, I'll just leave that for you. I made lots of copies. See you at Thanksgiving, Uncle Lex. In a rage, Lex admits that he was the mastermind behind it all. I'm going to have to quote you on that, okay? The Planet gets a front-page article, Lex did it, and Jimmy is the new publisher of the now-solvent paper. Perry congratulates him, calling him chief. In the end, Superman and Jimmy meet on the planet's globe, with the Man of Steel giving him a new signal watch. We're sorry to see this go. Hey, Matt, how about a Perry White mini? Speaking of Daily Planet employees... Lois Lane, number 12 of 12 by Rucka, Perkins, and Troy. Lois is back in her hotel room watching the news, which is mostly covering her huge story about a pay-for-play scheme at the White House. She's also typing away. Jessica Midnight says, are you watching this? Interrupt me when they indict him. 
The question calls in with an update. She and Alicia, a.k.a. the former Angel of Death, are fighting their way out of Chechnya with a file, quipping all the while. Later, Lois returns to the Daily Planet for the first time in months, dropping off her big story to Perry. Email can be intercepted and encryption can be broken. Clark and Lois have a rendezvous. I worry. I know you do. You always will. The Voronova piece and the Agar and Shaw one next and the book after that. It never ends, does it? Only when there's no more stories to tell, Smallville. Lois and the question have a heart-to-heart about whether the big truth that there are multiple versions of ourselves in the multiverse and bleed-over is the cause of some mental illness is too big to let out. She says if people hate them for speaking the truth, it won't be the first time we've been called an enemy of the people. The long-awaited book comes out, and Lois and Jessica go on The Perspective, a.k.a. The View, to talk about it. Jessica is setting up The Unity Project, a way to reconcile cases of broken identity. The final sequence is the maid being released from ICE custody and a big celebration. Greg Rucka did an admirable job on this mini, especially considering the bombshell that went off during its run, which was Clark dropping the secret identity. Here are two examples of Justice League stories. One, meh, one, really great. Justice League number 48 by Spurrier, Lopestri, Ryan, and Baron. The League's in space answering a distress call. A space freighter is being attacked by a huge creature, and there are alien kids inside. Turns out the creature is just dropping off its larvae, mistaking the ship for an asteroid. Diana learns this by doing some quick research, while the others wrongly went into battle mode. The alien kids were set adrift on purpose by an alien empress of a world constantly in civil war, humanoids versus androids. The kids' parents were agitators trying to bring the world back together. The rest of the story is about how the League stumbles through the situation, constantly using force without understanding the situation. The empress is imprisoned only to leave the planet in anarchy. Diana constantly implores the team to just leave them alone, but Clark can't do that. In the end, the League finds themselves in charge just before a terrorist explosion goes off. There's actually been another issue since then. Titles are coming out with little rhyme or reason post-shutdown, and the League just digs the hole deeper and deeper. The only fascinating thing is Wonder Woman's space helmet, which I assume is magically created. The League, especially Superman, do not learn a lesson as they go along. It really shows them in a bad light. By the way, this is one of the titles being dropped from the poll after Diamond lost the contract. I'm just waiting for that to catch up. Justice League Odyssey number 22 by Abnet, Richards, and Barreto. We begin in the past. Per an editor's note, we're at Emerald Twilight in 1994 when Hal became Parallax. Susie Starr, Space Ranger, arrives at a bar in the hinterlands of space to pick up a gang and arrest them. She underestimates their firepower, is about to be overpowered, when who pops in but Jessica Cruz, sent back in time by Epoch to get her out of the way. Susie, in the current time, is Gamma Knife, but knows nothing about this or Jessica, who explains the situation they are in. She needs to return, and Susie's ship can do it as long as it holds together. Her sarcastic robot pilot calls her bug-smack stupid for attempting this. As they attempt the maneuver, the gang's ship attacks them, forcing Jessica to play gunmen using her own power. Susie tells Jessica she needs to stay at the controls and has the robot push Cruz into the transmat. Actually, Susie knows she can't stop, and the ship goes into a time loop. What happens to Jessica? Does Susie still exist as Gamma Knife back in the present? Find out next issue. 
Young Justice number 16 from Wonder Comics by Bendis, Walker, Godlewski, and Eltiab. In the last issue, Connor had just confronted Bart about where he has been all this time and what he's learned. Bart keeps running away, but Connor can, of course, keep up, even when forced to stop the last rampaging creature back at Star Labs. Bart finally fesses up about all of it, but not before passing out. Connor makes a fire and gives him a box of Chacos to fuel back up. Bart says, I I broke the rules, Con. He feels he's unmoored from reality and is not even sure how old he is. Now remember his origin when he was put in a virtual world to avoid hyper-aging at first. He believes he will mess everything up more if he stops running. Mirror Master once sent Bart into a mirror dimension and he started to dissolve, so he just ran out of it and then ran to the Hall of Justice. However, he found a set of statues in front of it, our young heroes fallen, with Tim, Cassie, Sissy, and himself. He had run to the near future and now knows they will all die in battle. He freaked out and ran himself to exhaustion, talking at super speed to himself and winding up in a future Arkham under future Harley Quinn. They locked him up because he called himself Bart Allen, which can't be because he's dead. He escaped and ran throughout the multiverse, eventually finding Connor in Gemworld, taking us back to the present. Tim Drake arrives at the campfire. He also wants to learn what's going on and suggests they go to the current Hall of Justice to get to the bottom of all this. Bendis is doing more to explain all the crises and reboots than any event of the last decade. Strange Adventures number 3 of 12 from DC Black Label by King Gerards and Shainer. I'm starting to lose interest in this miniseries. It definitely isn't grabbing me like the creative team's previous work, Mr. Miracle, did. The plot boils down to this. Adam Strange is considered to be a hero on Earth, but he definitely did what appears to be war crimes on Ran. His wife, Elena, is pulling the strings in their relationship. Batman wants Mr. Terrific to prove Adam's guilt or innocence. We spend time in the past seeing Adam fight a duel against the tribe they need to fight against the alien aggressors a fight that Adam seems to win at the possible cost of his own life, although obviously not since he's still alive. In the present, Adam tries to get Superman, then Hawkman, to talk Batman down from the investigation. Elena and Adam go to a lawyer about all this, but while there might be a case here, what are their options? I mean, what are we really going to do? Sue the JLA? Elena goes on a media offensive to turn public opinion against the League. Batman later confronts Elena, telling her that... The investigation will go forward regardless. She uses footage from this to further public concerns. This story may not need 12 issues to be completed, and it seems to be dragging its feet. Buffy the Vampire Slayer Willow number 1 from Boom Studios by Tamaki, Bustos, and Bruni. After the horrific events in the recent Hellmouth event, muted for the reader due to the COVID shutdown, Willow has gone off on her own to figure out her life. She goes to the UK to study abroad, actually to work with a coven there, which doesn't work out. So she returns to Sunnydale, which apparently has its own airport with international flights, only to realize she needs more time to grieve and buys a bus ticket to explore America. She finds what appears to be an idyllic town called Abhain. A gas station cashier tells her to leave, though. She then meets a woman at a diner who turns out to be another witch and has a surrealistic experience. Willow is invited to a bonfire and, after some deliberation, decides to go. Meanwhile, another woman is being chased through the woods at night begging to go home. 
Throughout all this, Willow has been writing a postcard, not knowing who should receive it. The postcard is destroyed on her bedside table as she sleeps. Someone doesn't want her to get the word out. The artwork is quite evocative, and the inner monologue fits the character well. We're trying out new segments on the show, and here's one of them. Let's browse a while in the graphic novel library. We pulled All-Star Archives Volume 2 off the shelf. DC printed these hardcover volumes of Golden Age and Silver Age comics for several years. The archive is different from the showcase volumes because they are hardcover and in color, while showcase is paperback and black and white. At one point, I hoped to purchase the set of these volumes, but at cover price of $50, they were and are out of my price range. All-Star Comics is where the original JSA was created, bringing together stars of both DC and All-American Comics, DC's sister brand, created to get around wartime paper shortage. However, it was not what you would expect from a super team today, at least at first. It's more like the Explorers Club, with members getting together to go over individual adventures. Over time, the group would come together at the beginning to discuss solving an issue or fight a foe, then go off their separate ways for solo adventures, then reconvene to wrap things up. Archive Volume 2 includes... One million dollars for war orphans. G.L. Allen Scott describes the horrors he saw in wartime Europe with refugees in terrible straits. They all agree to raise a million dollars for charity, as noted in the title, and then each member goes off to do so. There's also minor bad guys to fight, sidekicks and or girlfriends to save, and money to fall into their laps. In the end, reserve members, a.k.a. members with their own titles, hence too busy to come to meetings, Superman, Batman, and Flash, kick in the rest of the money needed with assistance from Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt. Say you! Two new members win their spurs. Dr. Midnight drops by a meeting asking for the JSA's help. They have to find a mad professor using madness to commit crimes, so they go off and do so. During this time, Starman has taken our man's place in the group as the latter is on a leave of absence. In the end, the group offers Dr. Midnight a spot, replacing Green Lantern, who got his own title, and makes the Doctor's Owl Hootie their mascot. Introducing Wonder Woman, the Amazon's first appearance before immediately moving to her own title. It tells the original story up to the point where Diana gets the outfit. Diana would later join the JSA, but would mostly be used as a secretary. Hemisphere Defense. The FBI calls in the JSA to stop Nazi spies throughout the Western Hemisphere. Each takes a sealed order and heads off, surviving death traps and attacks, finally stopping the saboteurs. The girlfriends of the JSA arrive at the end so they can attend an army dance. The case of the bomb defense formula. The team volunteers to protect scientists working defense projects. One of the scientists announces he has perfected time travel, so why not just go back and stop the war from happening? They figure there must be an airtight air defense method in the future, so they go, one at a time, to find it. Each tracks down a piece of the formula, which the 1942 scientists turn into a field generator that makes bombing impossible. I must have missed that day in history class. <laughs> The individual stories are from different creative teams, so the artwork goes from cartoony to realistic to back. And there are also text stories interspersed, all detailing the exploits of Hop Harrigan, an aviation hero. Harrigan would get a radio series and a movie serial, as opposed to the JSA members. It's a great example of the golden age of comics. 
Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.